One Week Season. OWS fam, welcome to the week two edition of the Angles Podcast. I am your host, I am your guest, I am JM to win. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed and let's get started. Lots to dive into with today's slate. If you, this week's slate, if you are new to the Angles Podcast, We take a kind of top-down view of the slate on this podcast, going a little bit deeper than we're able to in the Angles email because we're another day and a half deeper into the week when I'm putting this together compared to when I am putting that together. So as opposed to just looking at the over-unders and what the top-level information tells us, we're kind of able to get down to layers two and three where we can really get a sense of what this slate offers us from a strategy perspective, what we need to be aware of, what we need to be paying attention to. In my opinion, these are some of the most critical foundational elements to have in hand as we build rosters on any given week. In fact, as we often talk about at OWS, every week in DFS and NFL DFS is a totally new puzzle that we have to solve. And so this portion of the week, this portion of the Angles podcast is essentially about giving you the picture on the box for that puzzle so that we understand what are the unique components on this particular week? What do we need to be paying attention to on our builds in this particular week, which puts us in the best position to have rosters that fit the correct puzzle pieces together by Sunday morning. And then at the end of the podcast, we go through a bottom-up build, which allows us to find some of the value that's available on the slate while also talking through building a roster and the strategy that goes into that. Obviously, if you're into that sort of thing, roster builds and talking to you the strategy, there is the DFS lab that we're doing on YouTube. You can also find it on the One Week Season podcast feed. And there is the block party show that I do with Pete Overzet on Fridays that you can find on Pete's channel. Speaking of the One Week Season podcast feed, go ahead and rate this podcast if you get a chance. That helps us out. And with that, let's dive in. So, couple quick things I want to hit on before we dive into this week's slate. First off, something really cool that we just had added to the Bink Machine Optimizer. On the top left of the optimizer, there is now an option to go with standard projections or JM's preset projections. If you click on JM's preset projections, what you will find is that every player's projection is set to exactly 4x their salary. So real quickly, why I do this in my own builds, an optimizer is designed to optimize your rosters based on projections. But obviously, some of us like to rely more on what we're seeing or exactly how we want to put together rosters as opposed to projections. Now, if you switch to my presets and then you just narrow down to your player pool and you run things, probably not the best way to do things. But I like to create very specific ownership projection ranges. So when I'm coming up with my quarterback pool for mass multi-entry, it's very much like I want 25% Derek Carr and I want... 25% 
20% Russell Wilson, rest in peace, to those rosters, and I want 6% of this guy, and I want 4% Brock Purdy, and so on and so forth. And it's all going to add up to 100%. And if I put that into an optimizer with normal projections in, I sometimes don't get anywhere close to those exact percentages that I put in for the players because, again, the optimizer is going to override my percentage prescriptions by their projections. So if I set all players to exactly 4x their salary, the optimizer is not able to read any of these players as being more valuable to my roster than any others, and it defaults directly to my exact ownership ranges. So this allows me to build 150 rosters. And if I want 25% of a player, I get about 25% of that player. Now I typically put in, you know, 23 to 27% as the min and max to give it a little bit of wiggle room to work with. So I don't break the optimizer in terms of it not being able to get those exact percentages. If it's somebody who I want 8% of, I go seven to 9% on what I want for them. But when all my rosters are built, my exposures to these players is going to come out exactly the way that I want them, which is very difficult to do in any other way. So if you want to take that approach, you can use my presets from this point forward. It's just 4x everybody's salary. Really cool feature that we have in the Bink machine. And within the next couple of weeks, we will have a new update pushed out where I will be able to publish some of my own player rules as well. So you'll be able to incorporate any of those that you want to into your lineups. One other really cool announcement. We now on your profile page have the ability, if you are an Inner Circle member or an OWSDF member, for you to give away one free subscription to a friend for a year access to OWS. So if you already have an active OWS DFS or Inner Circle subscription, the code will not work for you. If you have had an OWS DFS or Inner Circle subscription in the past, the code will not work for you. But if you have a friend in your fantasy league or a friend you know who plays DFS, who you think would enjoy or benefit from an OWS subscription, go to your profile page at the very top. You can grab that code, send that code to your friend, and they can sign up and get a free year of access to OWS. So this is something that we spent some time putting together and building this offseason, developing this. Uh, had it ready late last week. We're rolling it out this week. And just a really cool opportunity for you to, I know so many of you are really dedicated to OWS as users. So an opportunity for you to obviously help us grow a little bit, but more importantly, to take a friend of yours, you know, there's enough DFS upside available for more people that are accessing it at the, at the, this moment, I'll say it like that, right? Why do I share so much of my thoughts and my angles with subscribers? It's because there's enough space for all of us to succeed. And so same thinking, right? If you have a friend who plays DFS or a friend in your fantasy league who is sort of into DFS and might benefit from an OWS subscription, send them our way. We would love to have them and you are able to give them a free year of access to OWS. I will probably put the, I have to make sure that this will work, but I'll probably put that feature in the player grid this week as well. And if it works correctly, you should find your own unique discount code, even though it's in the public player grid for everybody. So, uh, but it's definitely on your profile page. You can grab your code from there, share it with a friend. Uh, I want to really encourage you to do that. This is a good week to do it because it's week two. It's early in the season. Uh, this week, next week, think of somebody you know who would benefit from OWS and drop that their way. Okay, with that... 
Let's go ahead and take a look at this week. And it is a pretty unique week. And for me, I love unique weeks in DFS because unique weeks give us different things to think about, different challenges to pay attention to, a different puzzle on the box. And most of our competition, and keep in mind, this goes for our sharpest competition as well. Most of our competition, by volume, the majority of our competition are casual players who are not able to adjust week to week based on what that slate is giving them. As we often talk about, Everything in DFS is about small edges. Every small edge that you gain makes a difference. And in terms of profitability, what we're trying to do is put in plus EV sample sizes week in and week out. Rosters that would make us money if we could play on that slate 100 times. And the more times we put in positive samples, the more money we're going to make over time. But DFS is an overtime endeavor. There are going to be weeks where you play great on that week. You put in super plus EV rosters on that week, and the week plays out in a totally different manner, and you don't make profit on that week. But if you continually put in plus EV rosters, you are going to make money in DFS over time. On the flip side, in fact, let me pause on that for a moment. You know, I I talked in my playing for first place course that is free to all OWS members. I talked in that course about how, you know, up until week, whatever it was, nine of last year, I hadn't played MME. And I was pretty strictly either single entry or very limited entries. And even with that, I had that first place finish in the Wildcat in 2019. I had a first place finish in the Game Changer in 2020. I had a couple of first place finishes and several other top five, top 10 finishes last year in 2022. And I said that to illustrate that there is edge here. If we're playing the right way, if we're targeting first place finishes, if we're putting in plus EV samples week in and week out, even with only 18 sites available to us. And and you guys know, if you've been around, I typically don't play week 18 myself, uh, depending on what day of the week Christmas falls on. I usually don't play that week. And I usually take one other bye week each season. So I usually play 15 to 16 weeks each season. And even with that, which is a pretty small sample size, I'm able to get these first place finishes because of the way I'm playing. And now that I'm doing MME, I'm able to get these first place finishes that much more often. So coming out of week one, I already have a second place finish and a seventh place finish on my ledger for the year. And that roster that finished second place and seventh place, uh, one of them was in a 500 entry tournament. One of them was in a 1500 entry tournament, uh, would have finished first place in the game changer. And it was actually that roster that I used as my foundation for my game changer roster and made a couple small tweaks because I couldn't bring myself to play Puka Nakua in the game changer. So uh, egg on my face, but that would have been a first place finish in the game changer, uh, $97,000 difference in my winnings from week one. But uh, again, if we're putting in plus EV samples, even though we just, even if we're just NFL DFS players, we're going to get those top finishes far more often than you might realize if you've been playing in other ways. And so again, I'm all, I've already logged one of those second place finishes this year, one of those seventh place finishes this year, and it's just week one. So I say that again, to go back to where this all started and say small edges are important. If we're giving up small edges, then we're not maximizing our chances of getting these weekends that can pay for our entire season. And that's really what this is all about, is finding those weekends that those top finishes that pay for our entire season. So 
again, the field, casual players who are not finding the unique picture on the puzzle box week in and week out. We have an edge on those players if we are taking a look at the unique things that this particular slate provides for us. And then the other portion of our competition, the people we're really competing against for first place, the people we're really competing against for those spots in the tournaments that sort of pay for our entire season are the sharpest DFS players, the DFS players who do understand DFS theory, who do know what they're doing. But for those DFS players, most of them are playing every DFS sport. They're grinding MLB every day of the week. Once we get to mid-October, they're grinding NBA every day of the week. And they don't have necessarily as much NFL knowledge as we have. And because of that, they might not be able to see the picture on the box quite as well, or they might not be spending as much time trying to find the picture on the box because they're able to be profitable in NFL DFS over time simply through proper DFS theory, proper roster construction approaches because so much of the field is not using that. So again, as I point out all the time, we have a greater edge essentially as OWS members than anyone else in NFL DFS because We understand what our sharpest competition understands about how to build rosters, how to play for first place. If you haven't listened to the free course, strongly encourage you to do that. If you're an inner circle member, obviously, this is the type of stuff that we focus on every week. And there's great content in inner circle and there's perks and all that stuff. But really, the main value of inner circle is that a lot of people pay 100 bucks an hour for DFS coaching and you're paying whatever your inner circle subscription price is and every single week getting coaching elements macro on Wednesday in the winter circle podcast and micro specific to that week's slate in the slate podcast on Saturdays, because that's what really sets our rosters apart. That's what positions us to make money over time. And then on top of that, we're able to blend the NFL knowledge with that understanding of DFS theory to really create rosters that are obviously better than what the casual players are putting in. But in terms of how plus EV our samples are week in and week out, they're going to be more plus EV than even the sharpest players as well. So bringing back to where we started with all of this, what is unique about this week's slate? So there are two things that stand out to me in particular about this week's slate. The first thing is what I'm calling the being content with the players who are consistent with some upside. So if you've been around OWS, you've heard me knock Keenan Allen repeatedly. You've heard me use him as an example all the time of the type of player that we don't want to play in tournaments. In fact, bringing it down to specific numbers, Keenan Allen has topped, I believe it is 25.6 DraftKings points. Keenan Allen has topped 25.6 DraftKings points one time in his last 31 games. It was actually week 18 of last year, I believe. Uh, So one of his most recent games. But Keenan Allen is popular in tournaments all the time because he has a consistent role. He sees consistent targets. And when you look through his game logs, it makes you feel very comfortable pushing that Keenan Allen button because you see double digit points week in and week out. But if you were to sort it by scores of 25 plus, 
which at his price tag you need in order to win a tournament. If you were to sort it by scores of 25 plus, he would be practically invisible. Why do you need those scores at his price tag? Because we should look at our rosters in terms not only of, of what a player adds to your roster, but also what a player takes away from your roster. Once we put Keenan Allen onto a roster on a week when he's 7,500, that takes away 7,500 in salary that we could have used on a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson or a Christian McCaffrey or an Austin Eckler or one of these other guys who Justin Jefferson topped 30 points nine times last season. Maybe it was like 29 points that he topped nine times, but that's ridiculous. And when you think about spending 1K more for Justin Jefferson over Keenan Allen, and when you think about when you roster Keenan Allen, you're probably blocking yourself from having the salary to get up to Justin Jefferson. Well, now you're boxing yourself into this comfortable 17 to 25 point score. And there will be those weeks when Justin Jefferson scores 13 points and Keenan Allen outscores him. But even then, Keenan Allen's probably not winning you a tournament with his 23-pointer, with his 22-pointer, because somebody else at that higher price tag that you're not able to roster because you have Keenan Allen is going for 30-plus points. So we don't want to box ourselves out of those players who are capable of going for 30-plus points. So why Keenan Allen this week? Well, Justin Jefferson's not on the main slate. Tyreek Hill is not on the main slate. Austin Eckler appears unlikely to play this week. And if he plays, he's playing against a Tennessee defense that devours running backs. So obviously he can still get his work through the air. But his chances of getting one of his 30 plus point games are certainly lower than they would be in other spots. Christian McCaffrey is on this slate, but Christian McCaffrey is on the 49ers now where they have so many weapons. And even though he's extremely central to what they do as an offense, he no longer has these opportunities for 14 target games that he had when he was on the Panthers and was really the only player that their offense was capable of running through. Obviously, they had DJ Moore, but they didn't have quarterbacks who were capable of getting DJ Moore the ball. So Christian McCaffrey could have these 40-pointers on a consistent basis. He hasn't had that with San Francisco because he just has to have extreme efficiency to get there now with his role, that pass game role being shrunk down just enough that he's not able to get those extra three, four, five catches that can really push him from these 30-point scores to the 40-point scores. Cooper Cup, consistent 30 to 40-point scores, injured reserve right now. So when we look across this slate, we don't have many, if any, players with a good shot at going for 35 or more points this week. So all of a sudden, some of these guys, uh, Stefan Diggs is another one I regularly use as an example. He can go for 30 plus, but typically he's valuable because he goes for 25 to 28 points on a more regular basis than most other players. But he rarely goes for those 30 plus point games. So he's another one I use, obviously, far less frequently than Keenan Allen. But he's another one I use as an example of these guys who... Yeah, he's a great player, tremendous player, one of the best route runners in football. Same thing with Keenan Allen. Great, great route runner, great hands, great piece in his offense. But in terms of where they're priced and what what you're taking away by spending that salary there, usually they're not the best play for tournaments. They're not going to make you the most money over time in tournaments. So on this particular week, it is very interesting in that my attention is shifting much more to those types of players. 
Amon Ross St. Brown is sort of in a weird in-between category in that he actually had a 30, I think it was a 31-pointer, a 38-pointer, and a 42-pointer last year. But most people would be shocked to uh, to realize, to hear what you're about to hear, that last year, 11 times, Amon Ross St. Brown scored 15.2 or fewer points. 11 times he was scoring in that 11, 12, 13 point range, always double digits. So when you flip through the game logs, it looks really nice. But when you really look closer, you recognize that he doesn't quite have the same floor that a Keenan Allen has shown over the years, or certainly a Stefan Diggs has shown over the years. But again, the ceiling is extremely high on, on Amon Ross St. Brown. But this is one of those weeks where Christian McCaffrey, 8,900. Usually I would say, well, at his salary, you'd love for him to get at least 35 points. But on this week, what I'm saying is, man, anytime somebody gets 30 points, there is value there. And especially on a week like this where there might not be that many 30-pointers, there's even more value there. And then especially on a week like this where they're probably, they're likeliest, it's likely that there won't be any 35 pointers, then he becomes even more valuable regardless of what you paid for him. So Christian McCaffrey, Stefan Diggs, Keenan Allen, these types of guys that I might usually preach against. Obviously, uh, I had a decent amount of Christian McCaffrey last week, lower price tag, different week, but uh, up at 8,900, I would usually say, man, I don't want to take him because he's probably getting you 24 to 32 points. Well, this week, I'm like, man, if he gets 28, if he gets 29, if he gets 30, I probably don't care that much that I, quote, overpaid for him because there might not be that many of those scores available. Now, quick side note here, Jamar Chase, definitely a player capable of going for 40 plus points, not in a plus matchup, not in a plus game environment. So his likeliest outcome is that he finishes in the teens or low 20s. Maybe he gets up to 25 to 30, but you're taking on more risk when you could get that type of score from somebody else with less risk. And then obviously maybe he goes for 35 to 40. So you have to weigh that into your calculus of how willing you are to go to some of these consistent with some upside types of guys. When Jamar Chase is obviously going to be less consistent, has a lower floor this week, but could be one of the pieces that actually goes for 35 plus and, you know, beats all the people who rostered the Keenan Allens and the Stephon Diggs and so on and so forth. But that is the first really unique element about this week is that this week... 30-pointers gain additional value based on the setup of the week, and what I pay for those 30-pointers is going to matter less to me than it would on other weeks. I'm going to be less salary conscious and more raw points conscious on this particular week at the higher ends of the price range. The other thing that's unique about this week is the setup of the games has put me in a spot, and you'll see it in the player grid this week in the scroll. I have a broader player pool for my tighter player pool than I typically have. So my tighter player pool, it's the the pool of players that I am willing to roster on single entry and three max rosters. And obviously by Saturday night, there's obviously typically one or two additional players added. And I come through late Saturday night, add them to the player grid. You should probably check the player grid Sunday morning every week, just in case I've added some new players. Last week I added Derek Carr and Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill had been kind of like, eh, I'm not that high on this game throughout the week. And then by Saturday night when I was building, I was like, yeah, yeah, but I'm actually higher on Tyree Kill than I realized. Ended up having him on 25% of my rosters, put him into the player grid. Uh, Same thing with Derek Carr. Ended up with him on my main build. He hadn't been in the player grid before. But player grid is 
Friday, generally speaking, that's going to be my player pool for three entry max and for single entry. And I'll have anywhere from five to nine different rosters across my three entry max and single entry contests. And usually you look at the player grid, it's going to be five quarterbacks. It's going to be six or seven running backs. It's going to be pass catchers who are connected to those five quarterbacks and then maybe two or three other guys. And and then, you know, whatever the tight end position shakes out, that's different week to week. So typically I've got a pretty tight pool for that three entry max single entry that goes into the player grid. And then when I get to MME play, I end up branching out quite a bit more because there's all these guys who you recognize, okay, this guy actually could have a tournament winning game. This guy actually could score 30 points. He's a much thinner play. But when we're just talking about who could break the slate, who do I have to account for across all the games and thinking through those game environments and how these players are used and obviously being, I I talk about this quite a bit, but obviously being very tough on these players, right? I'm not just letting anybody who's capable of scoring a a 5X multiplier onto this pool, but it's like, let me really think through this game and how does this happen? And can this guy really do it this week? And do I want to make sure I count for this guy? And I have a plenty of guys in my MME pool who are on 5% of rosters, 6% of rosters, 8% of rosters, where I want to account for the upside that this guy has. So that MME pool is typically quite a bit larger than my tighter pool. Well, this week, my MME pool isn't going to be much larger than my tighter pool. My MME pool, in fact, I was looking last night, I was prepping the player grid and getting all of the pieces in place and and mapping out my, you know, at the bottom of the player grid, it has just my list of the quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends. And I was looking at that and I was thinking, Oh, like the the winning Millie Maker lineup can probably be made from this pool of players. It will surprise me if they're maybe not shock me, right? But it, it won't be surprising, I should say, if all nine players on the winning Millie Maker lineup are in that pool of players. And so there are going to be a few places outside of that tightest pool that I go in MME play. But for the most part, I'm not going to expand my list that much farther beyond what it already is. So again, in tighter build, single entry, three max, my pool for those contests is larger than it typically is. But my pool for MME isn't much larger than that. And that means my pool for MME is smaller than it typically is. So why is that the case? The case, that's the case because we have Buffalo at home against the Raiders. Buffalo, good matchup coming off of an embarrassing self-inflicted loss on national TV in week one. And the personality of this team, the personality of this offensive coordinator, the personality of this quarterback is that they're going to want to go out and prove a point this week. They're going to want to go out and put their stamp on week two and try to score as many points as they can. We know from experience watching this team that they are perfectly willing to win a game 38 to 10. They're not a team that has to be pushed by the opponent in order to maximize points. It's not as if they're going to get up by 10 points and then say, okay, let's ease off. Let's chess match our way to a win the rest of the way. Let's kind of take some pressure off our quarterback, off our passing attack. 
let's make sure that we have longer drives and sort sort of shorten up this game from here. No, the Bills are perfectly willing to keep putting points onto the scoreboard deep until deep into the fourth quarter, regardless of the score. So the Bills could win this game 38 to 31. The Bills could win this game 38 to 21. The Bills could win this game 38 to 10, 38 to 3. They would be happy scoring 38 points in any of those scenarios and would be willing to chase 30 points in any of those scenarios. Then we also have Jacksonville and Kansas City. I talked about this in an earlier podcast, but I'll mention it again in that quarterbacks documentary on Netflix. When Patrick Mahomes was going to Tampa to play Tom Brady and the Bucks. One of the things he talked about in that episode in that week was that when you're playing a quarterback like Tom Brady, when you're playing a team like the Bucks, you have to be aware that the game is never in hand. And every time you have the ball on offense, you have to be aggressively hunting for points. Now, every team would love for their drives to end in a touchdown. But a lot of teams, the way that they want to play because their defense is the backbone of their team or because they don't have a super explosive offense or whatever the case might be, they feel that their best way to win a game is to hold on to the ball for a long time when they have it. And in a sense, again, they would rather finish with a touchdown, but in a sense, they would be happier trying to build an eight-minute drive that ends in a field goal than trying to hunt for a two-minute drive that ends in a touchdown but could also end in a quick three and out. A team like Kansas City is very different in that they are proactively hunting for points on every play, so to speak. They are always looking home run first, and then if that doesn't hit, scale back from there. Uh, 49ers are another example of this, and there was something Kyle Shanahan said in, in one of his press conferences this week that was like, man, the, the mindset of this team is so different in that essentially every play is designed to be a home run play. Even their running plays are a very run heavy team, but every run play that the 49ers run, it's not just a lot of teams, their run plays are designed to set up something else. 49ers, their run plays are designed to try to score from anywhere on the field on any given play. And so a team like the Chiefs going to Jacksonville to take on this really good Jags offense that has gotten even better this year with the addition of Calvin Ridley, the mindset for Kansas City going into that game is going to be, we're going to maximize points and every drive, every play, we're going to be looking for that opportunity to hit the big one. And obviously, a lot of the time, it's not going to be there. And so we take the short pass, or we take the run, or Mahomes has to get out of the pocket and pick up four or five yards, whatever the case is. But each play is going to start with that mindset of how do we maximize points in this spot? How do we get ahead of Jacksonville on the scoreboard and stay ahead of them in this sprint? Same thing on the other side. Jacksonville is going to be looking to maximize points. Now, as I said in my DFS interpretations this week, One of the things we want to keep in mind is that these are two very competitive teams. These are two teams that make the opponent work hard on every play. So that means the Jacksonville defense is going to make the Kansas City offense work hard for every yard. The Kansas City offense is going to make the Jacksonville defense work hard on every play. They're going to try to strain them on every play. And same thing when the Jags have the ball, both sides of the ball there. So it wouldn't be surprising. The, the over-under is 51. That's a great over-under. That still means that betters and Vegas expect that 50% of the time, this game finishes with under 51 combined points. 
50% of the time, this game finishes under a score of 27 to 24. So it could be, especially at these price tags, it could be a hyper-competitive game, but the scoring doesn't get out of hand. And at the price tags on these players, none of them really are players that had to be on your roster in order for you to win a tournament. Calvin Ridley scores 22 and Evan Ingram scores 12 and Christian Kirk scores 13 and Zay Jones scores 11 and Travis Etienne scores 16. And at the price tags, respective price tags on these guys, none of them really fit on a tournament winning roster. But this game could also be a 38 to 34 shootout. That's very possible. And it could be Travis Kelsey puts up 31 points and Patrick Mahomes puts up 35 and Trevor Lawrence puts up 29 and two different pass catchers or two different skill position players on the Jags put up big scores relative to their salary and are potential tournament winning pieces. So we have that game. And then we have Detroit and Seattle. A Detroit defense that has definitely improved. A Seattle defense that after they worked out their communication kinks and their early breakdowns last year became a really tough unit and one of the toughest units in the NFL for wide receivers to rack up yards and production against. And the Seattle defense has also improved and the Seattle offense has added Jackson Smith and Jigba, which makes them a better offense than they were before. The Lions offense has added Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, which is... Uh, an equal or better pairing than what they had last year. After week one, it was easy to say, you know, David Montgomery is definitely a better all-around player than Jamal Williams. Uh, It was easy to see how electric Jameer Gibbs looked with the ball in his hands and say that he was potentially an upgrade on DeAndre Swift. And then uh, Swift went out and showed on Thursday night what he can do. But again, they are still as good of an offense at worst as they were last season. And last season, this game was 48 to 45. Now, take into account that both these defenses are good. Take into account that last year is not this year. Take into account all the variables that go into a game shooting out to that level. And it's not like we can go into this game and just expect a shootout. As Hilo pointed out in his NFL Edge write-up for this game, this game opened at 50 and was bet down to 47. It bounced off of 47 and was sitting at 47 and a half as of that write-up. I believe it's still at 47 and a half right now. So there are certainly paths to the downside, but there are also paths to the upside. Then we have the 49ers who have scored 30 plus points in seven of their last nine regular season games. That's just a lot of touchdowns. We talk all the time about how touchdowns are critical for upside in DFS. Well, if an offense is scoring a lot of touchdowns, that's a lot more opportunities for multiple touchdowns to congregate on one player. We saw it with Brandon Ayuk last week. Ayuk had a 36-pointer last week. Debo had a 31-pointer in week 17 or 18 last season. Christian McCaffrey has all these 25 to 32-pointers. Four of his last five games have been 25 to 32-pointers. And so, uh, or I should say, I've been throwing out this game against Dallas from last year. So I've been looking at a, a sample the five games where Brock Purdy was under center, Debo was healthy, Ayuk was healthy, Kittle was healthy, Christian McCaffrey was healthy. All five guys were playing together. Uh, there have been five games like that where they weren't playing against Dallas. So I've thrown that one out of the sample size. But out of those five games, one of them Kittle hit for 19 points, one of them Debo hit for 31, one of them Ayuk hit for 36, Christian McCaffrey hit for 17 in one game, 25 in another. His other three games were 29 to 32 points. Purdy has gone for as high as 38, and all his other games have been 18 to 22. So all these guys are capable of hitting. 
And week in and week out, this team is scoring touchdowns, which obviously increases the chances of these guys hitting. They probably go for 30 plus points again in this spot. And the prices on Ayuk and even Kittle and Debo and Purdy are all really attractive. I said even before Kittle. The even doesn't apply to Debo and Purdy. Even Kittle is at a kind of a good price tag for what his ceiling is. And then obviously Debo and Purdy are at good price tags for what their ceilings are. So that's another spot, right? And then the Rams looked really tough spot playing against the 49ers, but the Rams looked really good last week. And sure, the Seahawks were not at their best, but the Rams looked genuinely good. And this is early in the season. My wife and kids, you know, sent them out of town two weeks before the season, a week and a half before the season kicked off, sent them to the in-laws for two weeks so I could focus fully around the clock on finishing all the business stuff leading into the season and prepping for week one and all that. So they were still out of town on Monday, which gave me an opportunity to watch every single game from this last weekend. And then obviously Tuesday, flying to Oakland to enter my DraftKings lineups because I can't enter them in Oregon and listen to 40 minutes worth of press conferences for every single team that played this last weekend. And so having watched all 16 games... I'm not just saying the Rams looked good in the context of what were the expectations for them and watching their game against Seattle. But I mean, watching all 32 teams play, the Rams looked good. Like the Rams look like a team that could surprise our preseason expectations this year. And can they go out and put up points against the 49ers? Can they do it enough? Now, another note that I made to myself, I think I mentioned this in my DFS interpretations. I made a note to myself after watching the 49ers game against the Steelers, who the Steelers who have a better offensive line than the Rams have on paper. And it was like, man, that pocket is going to be really cramped for, um, for Matthew Stafford because the 49ers create push obviously up the middle and around both edges. And, and it's just going to pinch everything in for him. But uh, that's a very interesting spot. We know the 49ers are likely to score points. It won't shock us if the Rams put up 20 plus points in that spot. And then the last spot, we have the Chargers, Chargers who went very run heavy this last week. As I've explored this week, that was lo- almost certainly largely due to the way that Vic Fangio called that Miami defense. And what I mean by that is Vic Fangio definitely dared the Chargers to pass on them. He said, you have to beat us on the ground. And if you want to try to pass on us, we're going to make that as difficult on you as possible. And the Chargers said, okay, we'll run the ball. And they had a great game running the ball. I don't think that that is necessarily indicative of the Dolphins' ability to stop the run this season. I don't know that they're going to be that bad against the run. They were very clearly selling out to stop the pass in that game and saying, you're going to have to be patient and try to beat us on the ground. Kellen Moore obviously called a run-heavy offense last year with the Cowboys, but as we know, Mike McCarthy talked publicly in press conferences last year about how he had pulled Kellen, Kellen Moore aside in the offseason, let him know that they wanted to be, he wanted them to be a more run-heavy team in 2022, that he felt their defense was their best path to winning games. He wanted to keep their defense rested. He did not want to be just throwing the ball all over the yard and then putting the defense right back on the field. So More than likely, Kellen Moore would prefer to be a much pass-heavier offensive coordinator than he was allowed to be last year. More than likely, he would prefer to be a much pass-heavier offensive coordinator than he was in week one. Enter week two, where the Tennessee Titans 
devour opponent running backs. We saw it with Jamal Williams last week, who I had 0% exposure to because why would you want to play a guy who doesn't catch passes against a defense that doesn't allow rushing yards? And last year, Tennessee, because of how hard they are to run on, they faced the highest opponent pass play rate in the NFL by a pretty wide margin. They faced the most pass attempts per game in the NFL by a pretty wide margin. Now you have a Chargers team that in the past has always really preferred to pass the ball. Furthermore, Austin Eckler could be out this week. So you've got Joshua Kelly, who's probably going to be popular in DFS because he had a good game last week against a team that was inviting the Chargers to run the ball. Now he's going to be facing this Titans defense that doesn't allow yards on the ground. Will Kelly get some catches? Absolutely. But will he get those 10, 12, 14 targets that Austin Eckler can get? Probably not. Probably more of those targets spill over to suddenly my guy, Keenan Allen, than we typically see. And maybe Keenan Allen gets one of these 14, 15, 16 target games because Justin Herbert is throwing, Herbert, who already is happy to throw the ball 40 times, maybe in this spot, Herbert's throwing it 43, 44, 47 times. So we also have that spot to consider. That's what this slate gives us is these available spots. And then all the other games are pretty far behind these available spots. So where I'm at, the reason why my tighter player pool is larger than it typically is, is because I don't necessarily want to force myself on Friday to narrow down all these spots that I like and say, okay, this is too big of a a tight player pool, so I'm taking this, this team out, I'm taking this team out. These teams are all kind of on even footing to me. But then when I get down to expanding for MME, it's harder to find too many spots that are going to ascend above what these spots offer. So I will ultimately end up as I start delegating my percentages on Saturday night, building up, finalizing my player pool, delegating my percentages, putting my rosters through the bank machine. I will get my, I'll, I'll mess around with my rules. I'll keep adding rules until the rosters look exactly the way I like them to look. And, and what I do there for any of you who are using an optimizer for the first time is I will start running sets of a hundred rosters. And then I'll just look through the first one and I'll see, oh, I don't actually want this player paired with this player, or, oh, you know what? I actually want this guy on every roster that I have with this guy, or I want this guy paired with this guy more often. And I'll just start marking down, okay, I want to add this rule, this rule, this rule. And I'll go through four or five rosters and find six or seven player rules that I want to add. Obviously, Caleb's tutorial for the Bink Machine shows you exactly how to do that and maximize your usage of that tool. And I'm going to have some videos coming up over the next couple of weeks as well that'll help you. But then I run another set of 100 rosters. And now I might go through eight to 10 rosters before I find like five or six new rules that I want to add because the rosters are starting to come out more the way I want them to look. I've already put my percentages in. I already have my presets by team. So, uh, you know, and I've, I've got things narrowed down to my player pool using my 4X projections. So these rosters are coming out percentage-wise the way I want, but in terms of the strategy and how I want these rosters built, I can get 150 rosters that look exactly the way that I would hand build them, but that are even better because if I say I want 8%, if I say I want 6% Puka Nakua in week one, well, maybe if I'm hand building 100 rosters, I'm not going to actually pull the trigger on Puka Nakua six times. But if I force the opter to do it, those rosters get spit out and I'm going to use them, right? So it's building the types of rosters I want to build, but sharper than I can build them. 
And I just keep building sets of 100 rosters, going through and finding new rules that I want to add. And then all of a sudden, I start building them and I go through 40, 50 rosters before I'm finding really any any new rules to add. And then I kind of add those final rules and build my 150 rosters. So as I do that, I am then able to enter those rosters into the slant where I have 150 uh, entries reserved. And I'm able to go one by one through those rosters and start finding the ones that stand out to me the most for single entry, for three entry max. And that is generally based on, you know, so taking week one as an example, I had 50% Chris Alave. I had 25% Calvin Ridley. I had 25% Tyree Kill. I had 35% Justin Jefferson. I had, I don't know, 20% Aaron Jones, somewhere in that range. And so as I'm going through my rosters, certain rosters are going to pop to me because they're full of players I really like. So the roster that got second place and seventh place and should have gotten first place in the game changer, it had Derek Carr, who was on 25% of my builds. It had Chris Olave. It had Tyreek Hill. It had Justin Jefferson. It had Aaron Jones. And then it made it all fit with, well, I had Rashad White, which was a dud, but it made it all fit with Puka Nakua, David Njoku, and the Texans defense. And so by seeing, like, it wasn't like Puka Nakua was on, 100% of my rosters, 50% of my rosters, 30% of my rosters, but he was the piece that helped these other pieces all fit together. So then I'm able to say, okay, here's a roster that's actually in contention for my main build. And I've said this a number of times, but since I started doing MME, and this is why I've said, even if you're not, and Aaron Rotomaven has been saying this to me for two years, and I, and I just started doing it last year, but he was like, the OWS community, the way that we think, they would dominate so much more if they were using an optimizer. And I finally started listening to him. And as I said, in the, I think it's eight weeks that I've used an optimizer and my single entry high dollar roster has cashed, I believe it's five of those eight weeks. And I had a second place finish last year in the game changer in one of those weeks and could have had a first place finish in the game changer this last week. And so it's allowing my player pool to build my rosters and then allowing those rosters to determine who's going on my tightest builds. So I say all of that to say my pool going into Saturday night is going to be a little bit bigger than I'm used to. And I'm not going to force myself to make decisions on who's going onto my three max and who's going into my single entry. So much as I am going to generate these builds. And then as I start going through the rosters, certain ones are going to stand out to me as, okay, this is definitely one of the rosters that I've been looking for. This is definitely one of the rosters that I've been trying to find a way to get something that looks like this. And so this is now a potential three max roster. This is now, I mean, I'll set those rosters aside and then I can kind of sort through those rosters and shop through those rosters, so to speak, and pick out the ones that are going in three max, pick out the ones that are going in single entry. And I might use five different rosters across five different single entry contests. I might use five different rosters across nine different three max spots and mix and match these rosters in different ways. So right now, Friday, I don't know what my tightest pool is going to look like. I don't know what my single entry or three max is going to look like. And I don't need to force myself to make that decision because I recognize that a lot of these spots are kind of on even footing for me. And I'm not in the point in the week yet where I have to make that final decision. At the same time, again, the larger player pool, the MME pool, isn't going to be much bigger than what I already have because I don't see a lot of games that can compete with these games. So I go through all of that. Again, there's some 
Some of that is like, hey, let me tell this from a personal perspective of what I'm doing, which might not apply directly or specifically to you. But all of that is this picture on the box where I can tell it to you from my angle because that's how I can tell it at the deepest level. And then you can then turn the box a little bit to see it from your angle and see how that all applies to you. So hopefully that helps you a lot. This is a unique week. And I think that there's a lot that we can get from this particular week, a lot of edge that we can gain from this particular week. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get to the bottom up build. So if you are new here, the idea behind the bottom up build is build a roster with a 44k salary cap. This allows us to kind of start from the bottom up on some of our pieces, allows us to see what some of the value is on the slate. It also allows us to talk through a roster, which allows us to talk through how we think about strategy and DFS theory when building a roster. We do this as if there were a 44K salary cap, which allows us to think about what everybody else would also be doing. We then happen to have a contest with a 44K salary cap. It is our bottom-up build contest. You can find a link to it in Discord or in my player grid. The bottom-up build contest, the rules are simple. Build with a salary cap of 44K. So if you go over that, your roster is disqualified. Uh, build with a salary cap of 44K. And first place, we first, actually, I think it's top three spots, but uh, cool OWS-related prizes, uh, edge points, which is, uh, I think it's 200 edge points to first place, if I'm not mistaken, which is essentially $200. So you can buy $200 worth of courses using your edge points that you win. So um, yeah, really cool. And you, you get that... Uh, that pride of being the bottom-up build winner. Free contest and 200 spots. Uh, I think we have a second one set up this week because we filled up the 200 pretty quickly last week. So uh, we might add that second contest and, and have two separate bottom-up build contests. And I think if we do the top overall score between the two is how we do that. But I'm not in charge of all that. So um, somebody else can confirm that. But uh, with that, let me get to my bottom-up build. And I'm going to start with the, the non-salary savers on this roster. And that is going to be Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. I tried to see a way to get Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Gabe Davis. I didn't like the way that the roster was coming together. Uh, I will explore that player block of Diggs and Josh Allen and Gabe Davis in the player grid. So you can kind of get some deeper thoughts on that. But I ended up adding Dalton Kincaid to this stack and really like the Diggs and Josh Allen one because they're so heavily correlated. If Stefan Diggs is putting up 25 to 32 points, Josh Allen is probably putting up 27 to 35 points. In other words, if Diggs is hitting, Allen's probably hitting as well. If you get this one bet right with Diggs, you're probably getting two bets, right? So it gives you an opportunity to take advantage of that. And especially on a week in which I don't expect many, if any, 35 pointers, getting two 30 pointers with one bet is really valuable. So right now, this is the spot that I would imagine is likeliest to end up as my main build this week would be a Josh Allen roster. Although wouldn't shock me if it's a Brock Purdy roster instead. Um, wouldn't shock me if it's a if it's a Trevor Lawrence or Patrick Mahomes, just because maybe the roster stands out to me. What I don't like as much about those guys is 
the pairing uncertainty. So Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, obviously if Travis Kelsey hits, Mahomes hits, but not necessarily, that rule doesn't work in reverse. Mahomes can hit without Kelsey hitting. And then you're just throwing darts at which of these cheap wide receivers might hit. In fact, speaking of Amon Ross St. Brown scoring 15.2 or fewer 11 times last year, uh, Travis Kelsey in his last 34 games, so all of last season, all of the previous season, 25 of those 34 games, he scored under 23 DraftKings points. And a lot of those, it's like 14 points, 13 points, 16 points. So Kelsey doesn't score the, the 25 to 28 to 30 point games as often as the perception of him would lead us to believe. Uh, so I say that to say, again, you know, Stefan Diggs, maybe 40% of the time in this spot, maybe even higher than that in this spot, he is going to score. Um, he's going to score 30 points. Travis Kelsey, maybe 15% of the time in this spot, he's going to score 25 to 30 points. So Diggs is just a higher certainty bet on the Jags. You've got, you know, any of these guys kind of could hit. Calvin Ridley's obviously the likeliest, but then you have to think the Kansas City's tilting extra attention to him this week. And so then you're really kind of guessing on that one as well. And I try to take out guesswork on my tightest build, my smallest, my highest stakes, smallest field, single entry roster. I try to take as much guesswork out as I can. So I could easily see Josh Allen being the direction that I go there. Obviously, we didn't even talk about Goff. We didn't talk about Gino. We didn't talk about Justin Herbert. Some of these other spots that are also attractive this week. But Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, just a play that I really like this week. Uh, Dalton Kincaid is essentially their number three wide receiver. He's not truly their tight end. Dawson Knox is also on the field quite a bit. Dalton Kincaid is basically being used as a wide out. And it won't be surprising if he ascends above Gabe Davis in terms of pecking order, in terms of not upside, but in terms of just how many targets he gets on a game-to-game basis. So at 3,300, uh, he's a very interesting way to wrap up that stack. As I said, the Bills would be happy to win 38 to 10, 38 to 17. So at, at the price tags that Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs carry, they don't have to be a bring back on a Josh Allen roster because we don't need the Raiders scoring points in order for Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs to hit. Now, in order for Josh Allen to score 40, we probably would need the Raiders scoring points. But again, it's a unique week where we probably don't have anyone scoring 40. So Josh Allen scoring 32 in a blowout win becomes more valuable than it would typically be where typically at his price tag, you'd say, that's that's great, but that's just the score you needed at his price tag. That doesn't like make it impossible for anybody else to win. You want that 40-pointer from Josh Allen if you're paying this much. Well, this week, I just don't see those 35 to 40-pointers, so I'm a little bit more comfortable saying, hey, look, I'll bet on a blowout win. You don't even need a bring back, and I'll take the 32 to 35 points that he can get in that type of setup. Uh, Don't need to bet on the game environment as a whole going off. Uh, Running back, we end up with David Montgomery and Zach Moss. I want to talk about, uh, well, we'll hit Zach Moss real quickly. Zach Moss, Yardage and touchdown back, probably won't catch many passes, but probably will see 16 to 20 touches in this game. Obviously, Anthony Richardson is a risk to take away touchdowns close to the goal line from Zach Moss. So there's plenty of ways that the Zach Moss play could end up not working out. I was a little bit lower on him in my DFS interpretations than I am at this point in the week. Uh, I will certainly have 
exposure to Zach Moss just because of the salary that he unlocks at what I feel is a thin position this week. So at 4,700, uh, he's an interesting play. He's capable of going for 100 yards and a touchdown, 100 yards and two touchdowns. That would be thinner just because the Colts won't score a ton of touchdowns. But if the Colts score three, it wouldn't be shocking if Zach Moss came away with two of them. So uh, he's an interesting play. There's another interesting play from this game that we'll get to in a moment, a guy I wasn't as high on earlier in the week as I am now. Uh, but let's talk about David Montgomery and this Lions backfield. So I actually really like Jameer Gibbs this week. And one of the things that makes me potentially comfortable on pulling the trigger on Jameer Gibbs is that I have, I'm going to have a lot of higher certainty plays. So if I have Keenan Allen, if I have Steph Diggs and Josh Allen, then yeah, Jameer Gibbs could get me seven points, but he could also get me 30. And I'm more willing to take that swing, that broad range of outcomes, because I'm taking a tighter range of outcomes in other spots. Or if I have Christian McCaffrey and uh, Christian McCaffrey and Keenan Allen paired with Jameer Gibbs, well, Keenan Allen in a spot where we know that the Chargers are almost certain to throw a lot, especially if Austin Eckler is out, and that means more targets likely to go to Keenan Allen. It wouldn't shock us if we come out of that game and Keenan Allen only has nine or 10 targets, but his likeliest outcome, especially if Eckler is out, is like a 14 to 16 target game, which is crazy. Maybe I'll say likeliest is 13 to 16 targets, but it's crazy to be able to say that likeliest is that high of a range. And then Christian McCaffrey, you know, almost always he's going to get you at least 25 points, typically get you up close to 30 points. So you can have those types of players. It makes me a little bit more willing to take swings on the large variance on Jameer Gibbs. Now, uh, talking a little DFS theory, the larger the tournament size, the easier it is to pull the trigger on Jameer Gibbs. I'm talking right now, like Jameer Gibbs could be on my main build. I could have that willingness to take that broad range of outcomes on my main build. As you get to 5,000 entry tournaments, 10,000 entry tournaments, 20,000 entry tournaments, 50,000 entry tournaments, you let go of the need for consistency or certainty more and more across your build. And so Jameer Gibbs becomes more and more easy to pull the trigger on in those types of tournaments. But given the way I'll be building this week, Jameer Gibbs is the type of guy that I could get all the way down to on a main build. The Perception coming out of week one is kind of like, man, the Lions really didn't use him the way we expected. And what a waste of a first round draft pick. And he's only going to he's going to be in this DeAndre Swift situation. He's only going to get a handful of touches per game. But let's remember that DeAndre Swift, you know, last year was the usage really kind of went away like they really soured on DeAndre Swift. But the year before that, just running through some game logs, uh, we'll start with week 11 of the 2021 season. Eight targets, six targets, four targets, nine targets, five targets, seven targets. Uh, sorry, four targets, seven targets. Uh, and then in these games, you know, there's most of them is five carries, six carries, six carries, eight carries, but there's an 11 carry, a 14 carry. Uh, and recognizing that targets are more valuable than carries, right? Significantly more valuable than carries. And it wouldn't be surprising to see Jameer Gibbs come out in this one and have eight carries and seven targets. And if he's getting that type of workload, he's capable of hitting for a monster game. He's capable with the ball in his hands. He looks faster than everybody else on the field. In fact, he looks faster than everybody on the field in most of the games on the weekend. So 
Jameer Gibbs, very interesting, but also David Montgomery is in this Jamal Williams role, except he has better pass catching chops than Jamal Williams. So if the Lions score four touchdowns, it should never surprise us if that banger running back of theirs ends up scoring two or three of those touchdowns. So David Montgomery also very much in the mix on this roster. I tried to get Jameer Gibbs, but it didn't fit with what I wanted to do elsewhere. So we now have Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Dalton Kincaid, David Montgomery, and Zach Moss. Another player from that Colts game that is interesting to me is Tank Dell. So when I was putting together my DFS interpretations, I kind of said I, I probably won't be on this Texans offense at all. The one exception could be Tank Dell. And even there, I might not go there. But kind of looking at what's available this week and thinking about Tank Dell and what we saw from him in the preseason and in training camp. So my story with Tank Dell was Every press conference I was watching with Texans coaches, uh, press conferences with Nick Casario, their GM, they kept mentioning Tank. And I'm like, who is Tank? Who's Tank on the Texans? And I had to literally Google Tank Texans and found out that this is Tank Dell, this rookie wide receiver. And so I started paying closer attention. And every day on a daily basis, there were videos from beat reporters of from the open portions of practice of Tank Dell leaving cornerbacks in the dirt, even joint practices going against starting NFL cornerbacks. There were, there were a couple times where a cornerback literally fell down when Tank Dell made his break. There were other times where they would, he would create five yards of separation because he'd go on this post route, he'd sell it so well, and then break out of it toward an out so hard that the cornerback would get completely turned around and there would just be yards of separation between Tank Dell and the cornerback. And the only two rookie wide receivers outside of the Zay Flowers and, and really Zay Flowers was really the only first rounder who, who popped in training camp and in the preseason. So I guess I'll, I'll say the only three rookie wide receivers that I've had any sort of stamp on and really talked about publicly on Twitter throughout August were Puka Nakua, Zay Flowers and Tank Dell. So is that to say that Tank Dell is going to have a game like Zay Flowers and Puka Nakua had in week one? No, but the thing about Tank Dell and what I said in, in August, I said he's going to force his way onto the field and I said he's going to command targets because when a guy is getting open, he's going to get targets. So I don't think that the Texans want to throw the ball 54 times like they did last week, trailing against the Ravens in that tough run defense. I think they would be much happier to throw it 30 to 35 times. That's reasonable to say. But I also don't think that they're trying to throw it 20 times. They are certainly much more interested in development than they are in wins. And I even said that last week, that one of the things that I kind of picked up heading into week one was the Texans, the tenor around that team was different from most teams, where most teams, there is a level of optimism that, hey, we can surprise people. We can be a team that wins a bunch of games. We can make the playoffs. We can make a run this year. The Texans more had the vibe of we are going to, every player on our roster is going to do their best on every play and we're going to build on that and just keep getting better and better. It wasn't so many, and they never came out and said, hey, we don't expect to win games. But that was very much the vibe of we're not judging this based on wins. We're judging this based on what we're building. And so from that perspective, the Texans 
It's not like they're saying, hey, let's just hide C.J. Stroud and let's just run the ball as much as we can. So I do think that we get up to that 30, that I'd say 29 to 35 pass attempts. And if we get up into that range, Tank Dell, in my opinion, is going to see anywhere from, you know, he could see as few as four targets, but I would guess he's going to see anywhere from five to eight targets. And that means that he could end up catching Three passes for 35 yards, he gets you six and a half points, but at 3.2K in salary, that doesn't really kill you. But at eight targets, that could mean he catches six for 80 and a touchdown, and all of a sudden, he's one of these cheap guys who's putting up 20 points. So Tank Dell, definitely a guy who stands out to me this week. I think he's a guy, I do not think that Noah Brown will get that starting role back once he's healthy. I think that Tank Dell is going to command targets this week. I think he's really going to stand out on the field this week. And so at 3,200, the more I think about that play, the more I like that play play. Uh, definitely a guy who unlocks things on this slate. Uh, wrapping up this roster, Pukunakua, a uh, guy, if you've been paying attention to me since August, a guy I like, a guy who, again, um, had him on some, some uh, I don't know what they'd be called, you know, mid, mid-stakes contests, like $50, $50 entries, $100 entries. I think those are mid-stakes. Um, had him on some of those rosters, had him in the slant on several rosters, Almost had him on my game changer roster. Uh, I still think he's underpriced at 4,900. You know, missed practice on Thursday with the oblique injury. Sean McVay sounded today on Friday like, like uh, Puka will be able to play. So he's questionable, but it sounds like he'll be able to play. Tough matchup. Again, that pocket's going to be collapsing around Matthew Stafford, but the Rams are also going to have to put up points against this excellent 49ers offense. So we would expect passing. And if we're expecting passing, Puka is going to function as the downfield throw, uh, downfield option anytime they can let a route develop, but he's also going to have plenty of plays where he's that underneath and intermediate guy. He's very much in, it's not, it's not looking at the box score to say that's not over, over rating week one to say this. He's very much in the Cooper cup role. And one of the things that I said on Twitter in August was that uh, something, something that had stood out to me about Puka was there was a, a video of him mic'd up during practice and of like two thirds of the video was him standing next to Cooper cup, asking him questions, asking him questions about the nuances of a certain play, asking him questions of, you know, how to gain leverage at the top or bottom of a particular route, uh, asking him questions about blocking on, on particular plays and, you know, how he would block on this assignment and what he would do on this play and what's the best way to handle this. And that attention to the little details. And Sean McVay has said that Puka Nakua is, I don't know the I don't recall the exact word, but but base the basic just was he's the most mature and NFL ready rookie he's ever been around. Not, not, not just NFL ready in terms of on the field ability, but NFL ready in terms of how he approaches the game, what his study habits are like, his ability to do the little things right his ability to be a professional already this early in his career. And so uh, very interesting player. Very interesting play this week at 4,900. Again, I think he's still underpriced. Our early Friday morning ownership projections had him at 17% owned. Seems high just because I feel like the sticker shock of him jumping from 3K to 4,900 and the matchup against the 49ers will lower his ownership a little bit from there. I would think maybe he gets down to like the 12% range, but he's not going to be unpopular this week. Uh, certainly people are going to have an eye on him and certainly he could have 11 targets and catch seven for 50 yards. And he's putting up 12 points at 4,900 and kind of recruiting your roster a little bit at relatively high ownership. So I don't think he's 
a total must play, but given his price tag, given his role, uh, given his ability to get open, which is what really matters in the NFL, given his ability to get open, uh, he's certainly still underpriced. You know, he should be about 5,900 or 6K. So I have him on this roster. Have the Jets defense on this roster. I'll get into defense more deeply in the player grid, but Jets defense only 2,700. And the final piece on this roster is Nick Westbrook-Ikini. So this is assuming that DeAndre Hopkins misses this week. DeAndre Hopkins has missed practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So trending toward not playing. Attention will be on Traylon Burks, but it's it's sad to say it. It's sad to say it, Hilo. Uh, but <laughs> Nick Westbrook-Ikini is probably a better wide receiver than Traylon Burks. Uh, Traylon Burks is... Uh, I will be very happy for him as a human if he makes me eat my words, but uh, he's trending toward bust status. I have a hard time seeing him popping off for a huge game. Uh, obviously, I'll have a little bit of him in MME because that's certainly in the cards is for him to have a big game, but I'll, I'll be underweight the field, and I doubt that I'll be going to him on tighter builds. Nick Westbrook-Kikini is a pretty good wide receiver. And guess what? He had a 31 point DraftKings game last year. Now, most of it, I think he had another game close to 20, like 18 points or so. Uh, And then all his other games were under 10 points, kind of in that six to nine point range. But if DeAndre Hopkins is out and Nick Westbrook-Kikini at 3,300 scores nine points, that's not going to kill you. It opens up a lot of salary on your roster and nine points is still pretty solid down there. And the fact that he's capable of putting up 20 or even 31 points and that he's going, if he does that thinking leverage and recognizing that Traylon Burks will probably be much more popular. Well, not only is Nick Westbrook-Akini valuable for those points he's getting you if he has that 15, 20 point game, but also he's valuable for the points he's taking away from a more popular piece in Traylon Burke. So we always want to look for those opportunities where we're not just betting on the, I mean, sure, if you get Puka Nakua at 0.2% ownership and he puts up whatever he put up in week one, 25 points, it doesn't matter that there's no leverage there. 25 points at 3K that nobody has that player. You're just leaping over all these other rosters, especially when Marvin Mims is, is high owned and he's putting up whatever two points and Isaiah likely is high owned and at the same price tag. And he's putting up 1.4 points and you're getting 25 points. Well, you're just flying past these rosters, but anytime we can find those spots that is not just you get the points, but you also take away the points from a more popular player. That's even more powerful. So Nick Westbrook, Akini 3,300, that gives us a roster of Josh Allen at quarterback, David Montgomery and Zach Moss at the running back positions, Stefan Diggs and Dalton Kincaid as our pairings with Josh Allen. No bring back from the Raiders, uh, tank Dell, Nick Westbrook, Akini freeing up salary for us. Puka Nakua underpriced at 4,900 and the Jets defense at 2,700 leaves us with 6.2K in salary left over, gives us a lot of upside, gives us a unique pairing in a 44K salary cap contest in that if this weren't the bottom up build contest on OWS where you guys listen to this and then go put in your own entries. Uh, most people wouldn't think to get a Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, those super expensive guys in a 44K salary cap contest. So it uh, gives us a unique pairing there with plenty of floor and ceiling, especially given what this week offers to us. With that, a little bit of a longer angles pod than normal. We typically shoot for 50 minutes to an hour, but I think there was a lot of really interesting and valuable stuff to get to 
today to get to this week. So hopefully you don't mind a little bit of extra time. Hopefully you listened on a sped up speed so that you got it even quicker. And with that, I will give you one last uh, little, little, little tip, little boost is remember, you do not have to make your final decisions until Saturday night, Sunday morning. So don't force yourself to make any final decisions yet. Just kind of keep gathering information, keep narrowing the funnel, keep getting closer and closer, but kind of allow the slate to come to you. And when the time is right, those rosters will start coming together and you'll start having a sense of which rosters look exactly the way you want them to look, which rosters should be going into which tournaments. As I'm saying that, I kind of get the sense that there's at least a few of you who are like, oh, that really helps me to kind of push through that part where we're like trying to force answers and we're able to instead just let it come to us and say, okay, now I see the rosters that are coming together. This is the one that I want to put in here and, and recognize like once a roster clicks, you got to worry a little bit less about who the individual plays are on it and just recognize here's a roster that can win me a tournament. Here's a roster that can win, win me a tournament. Keep putting in rosters like that. You're going to be making money in DFS over time. Uh, with that, I will see you on the site throughout the weekend and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday of week two. Oh.